content of that that we just sang, I'm reminded, is similar to the themes of worship that we've seen literally in the throne room of heaven the past couple of weeks. What a marvelous, marvelous view this has been. It is a view that we need to keep in mind, folks, as we get ready for Revelation chapter 6 today. Because this is a very sobering chapter. It's a difficult one. It's not one that fills our heart with joy as we go through it. And even as um, Tom was reading this morning from Daniel, we needed that reminder of the Ancient of Days. Jesus Christ that is in control and deserves to be worshipped. And now as He opens these seals and we see literally the terrible judgments within, we need to remember that Jesus is acting in this way and it's all under the control of God the Father. This is all under His sovereign control. And as terrible as these things are, the judgment of the seals that we'll see today, it's not the full judgment there's more, but it's also not, um, it has a time limit, and it is fully in the control of God. Well, the Lamb had taken the scroll, if you'll remember, and John now records the moment when the opening of the scroll commences, and remember how uh, John was anticipating, and he was weeping because he thought that no one could open the scroll, and then it makes it clear, no, the Lamb is here, and He is able the Lion of Judah, the Lamb that was slain, seemingly contradictory, but gloriously together. He has the power to be able to open up the scrolls. But even with that wonderful um, anticipation of the fact that the kingdom will be revealed, this reality involves terrible judgments that wreak havoc literally upon the face of the earth. And we're so grateful, thankful believers will not experience what we're going to see here today. Terrible tribulation. Now I know, as we've talked about, there are some that think we're going to go through this. And even as we hear this today, you're going to be thankful that, you know, as that as far as our interpretation of Scripture here at Village Chapel and many others, that we believe that it's clear that we will not go through this seven-year tribulation time. But the application still is, folks, we go through terrible trials and troubles in our own lives as well. And sometimes they're so difficult we think we can't endure them. We're going to see people today that find these judgments intolerable as we look through this. We may feel that ourselves. And this is what we need to remember when we're going through times of difficulty where we cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, how long? I can't take this much longer. That God is fully in control of all of these things. Of this tribulation time and the difficulties and challenges He's allowing in your life today, this week, whatever you're struggling with. We need to remember and trust. Trust Him. He's going to accomplish His purposes even through great tragedy. Isn't that the struggle that we all have is that when the really tired difficult things come, we tend to lose hope. Oh Lord, how can you, how, I can't see your hand in this. It's too dark. It's too difficult. And yet those are the times where we even more 
than we normally do, trust in him in the darkest of our troubles. And uh, we will be called to do that. And uh, those that are God's people will be called to do that. That are in this time of tribulation. And we'll see that today in Revelation 6. Let's just read verses 12 through 17, and then we'll go back and start at the beginning of the chapter, okay? When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? God's people can stand. We can endure. And we won't even be a part of this, but he can help us to endure through that, whatever we're going through even today. Father, we're sober and grieved by the fact of, of these great judgments that we'll see today. But we know from your word that sin must be judged. For you to be a just God, you have to judge sin. And we will see that vividly in this passage and many others. Father, thank you in your grace that Jesus will come and rapture us up. That we won't have to be a part of this for those that are truly trusting in him. But Lord, there may be some here that are being a hypocrite. And they may not have a relationship with you. Let them hear these trials and this tribulation this motivate them to make their profession real with you so that they won't have to endure this and Lord I pray that whoever is here today going through great grief that you will remind them that it is only for a time and that you are sovereignly in control and that you will use it for your purposes to change them help us all to remember that as we go through these judgments today. And let us be encouraged by that. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The judgment of the seals, the one that is worthy to open the scroll and the seals is there in the midst of the throne room. And now he will commence with opening them. And we're going to see that God's judgment for the sin of the world will be severe. He has promised it. He's given grace, but there will come a time where it will happen. And his judgment involves even his enemies for his own purposes. Verses 1 through 4. And after that glorious scene of worship in chapter 5, remember that. Keep your eyes focused on the Lamb and on the one on the throne as we even as we go through these. The Lamb now begins to open the seals of the scroll. And each open seal will usher a sequential stage of judgment upon the earth. That's how these things work in sequence. And the final then seal that we won't even get to today will open up the next series of judgments and so on. Now from our study of Scripture, 
really, and this is what we're going to work on tonight, there are two companion passages, or really Daniel in essence, uh, a good part of the book in Matthew 24, that have to be kind of enmeshed and put together with what we're reading and studying in Revelation to make sense of the time and of what's going on with the Antichrist. And so tonight we're going to see more of that. But let me just say, to be clear, and I'll even bring a, uh, a map, a chart tonight to help you. Now, chart, charts aren't inspired, but they do help us. And this one I found is biblical, and it will help give you a picture of this. But we need to see these seal judgments as taking place in the first half of the great seven-year tribulation of the judgment of God upon the earth. Half of seven is three and a half. And so that's when these seal judgments will take place. And we'll go more through the, the numbers tonight. But John hears a voice as the Lamb opens the seal, a great voice, and it calls to one to come forth. Look at verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures, one of the cherubim, say with a voice like thunder, <clears throat> the power of the voice and the power of, of sound in this throne room is remarkable. And the voice like thunder said, Come! And he's commanding something to come forth. What's going to come forth? Well, these are the first that are referred to sometimes as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And we will see the first of these, the first of four horse and riders appear before John. And something to take note, each of these horses are described with a color. Now, we were careful not to make too much of the colors of the stones and the description of the throne of heaven because we weren't given the colors then, but now we're actually just having described the colors of these horses, and that's significant. And we are supposed to look at that and interpret what these colors are supposed to mean. And let's look at verse 2 then. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And in some translations, there's an exclamation point on there, which I think is appropriate because all of this was wondrous and at the same time strange to John. So he says, I behold a white horse. And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. And um, we think through this, and we take the details, and we make the best interpretation that we can. Let's think through this then. What is the, uh, the color white normally associated with in Scripture? Well, I don't think that's too difficult to figure out color white and its purity and, and, and uh, its full cleansing nature is always associated with Christ and those in relationship with Him. So then, who is this rider that's riding on this right white horse that resembles what we associate with Christ? Is it Jesus Himself? Well, we're going to find out later on that Jesus will appear on a horse, but he will not appear on that horse till he comes in the end to deal with the world in finality. You see, when we see later on in Revelation, when Jesus comes on a horse and the saints with him, he's ready to finish the battle and wrap it all up. In this seal, there is one coming dressed in right that's starting the judgments. And so even in that understanding, this really can't be Jesus Christ. Plus, if you think of the picture here, he's opening the scroll. He wouldn't be the one to immediately come forth on a white horse. Well, that would be strange. 
and certainly to signify the coming of disasters, the first disasters, the coming of Jesus. No, that doesn't fit at all. It can't be Jesus here that this is referring to. Well, who is it? Better consider, and this is a common interpretation among many uh, pre-tribulationists, uh, pre-millennialists, and I would agree with that as well, is that this is one who is imitating Jesus, dressed in white, to draw people to himself rather than Christ. Well, how could that be a disaster? Well, folks, I think you understand if you really think about that. What greater disaster could there be for people to be deceived away from the one way, Jesus Christ, for eternal life, and to be deceived away from him? That would be the ultimate disaster that anyone in the world could face. This one, then, this white rider, represents the Antichrist. The little horn of Daniel's vision that we read today that Tom read for us. Remember in 2 Thessalonians, we studied that not too long ago. He was referred to as the man of lawlessness. And he will come with power that is given to him to bring peace for a while. Now again, we're going to talk more about the Antichrist tonight and look at Daniel and see, get more of an understanding of how we tie all this together. So don't be distracted by that. Okay? Uh, but this is assuredly the Antichrist and his coming on the earth. And we're going to find that he will actually make peace with a particular nation, the nation of Israel, which, as you might uh, think and recall, many, many leaders in our time and former times have tried to do unsuccessfully. But this white rider on this horse, this this white this rider on this white horse, will be ultimately successful in that for a time. He's given a bow without any arrows. Did you notice that? That means he has power, but he's not going to need to use that power, his arrows, in order to bring peace. And a crown that he has, which means he will rule. But note that that is given to him. It's not something that he comes with automatically. He will accomplish something remarkable. He'll bring peace to Israel for a time without force, with the persuasion of his words. He's given a crown that's on loan for a certain amount of time, a specific time, and he will reign and be victorious over the nations, over the Western nations in particular. Another um, hint in really detail that shows this camping Jesus as Jesus does not need weapons when he comes, he will literally destroy with the words of his voice. And another, he's not given, a, Jesus is not given a temporary crown. No, he'll reign for all eternity. This man, then, is a fraud who will deceive the whole world and turn people away from Christ. That ultimately will be their responsibility. They'll want to follow after him. That will be a great disaster indeed. He will bring peace, but that will not save the world from turmoil because it will only be for a specific time as we get to the second seal here. And God is using his enemies to bring his purposes of judgment. The Antichrist, as terrible as he is, is near, merely a tool used by God to accomplish his purposes. 
And so is the second writer as well. Verse 3, and when he opened the second seal, that's the Lamb, that's Jesus opening the seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, the cherubim, again, in a loud voice, Come out, come forth. And out came another horse, this time bright red. And its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that the people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. Bright red, you could say blood red horse. I think that's pretty obvious what that color means. As war will come, and even this peace that the Antichrist is able to bring for a while, there will be those that fight against it, and there will be war and division that produce mass bloodshed folks on a scale we've never seen before. And let's face it, the world has seen a lot of bloodshed even in our own country, just these mass shootings that continue. Mass shootings in one year. We've only been into this year less than two months. The shooting at Michigan State and these other places, it just continues to ramp up in bloodshed and man um, fighting against one another. He's described here as having a great sword, and that is a long sword that is capable of terrible violence. <coughs> Terrible bloodshed. And all of this will happen when the tribulation begins. Well, we continue with the third seal. We also see that God's judgment involves severe suffering for the whole world. Verse 5, he opened the third seal. And I heard the third living creature say, Come! I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. Now that sounds really strange to us. What is going on here? Well, this rider on a black horse appears. This is the symbol of terrible famine. Again, our world has experienced famine in many uh, stages. There's terrible stories from Bible times and even in modern day of what people are forced to do during famine. Too terrible to even describe in a worship setting like this. It is something that we don't experience really much at all in this country. We're very blessed in that, but around the world this kind of thing happens. But folks, this famine will be on such a severe um, scale that it will affect everyone on the whole earth. Never been seen before. Well, what's going on with this pair of scales in his hand? That seems strange. Well, in Bible times, the pair of scales was actually an instrument of commerce that was used to weigh pounds and money. And so what is this famine then is going to affect the daily lives, their finances, um, their, their goods. A voice comes from the... <laughs> I think it was the Bluetooth speaker. All right. This pair of scales... The, the point is, though, is that this famine will affect people's goods and what they own and their wealth and all of these things. It will dramatically affect their daily lives. And that continues on in verse 6. Basically, what's described here really 
is a day's meal selling for a full day's, day's wages. Now, we don't have to uh, be the best uh, people with mathematics and consumer math and understand a lot about finances to, to know that when we get to that point, when you're paying a full day's wage, day's wage for one meal, you're in desperate straits. And that's really what's being described here. Now, a little bit more of the details here. Wheat, barley, oil, and wine were really the basic food staples of the ancient Middle East. This covered all of, of what they normally ate. Wheat was a better quality, but it was more expensive, and at the same time, substantial grain than barley, which was less nutritious, and it really was the food of the poor. If you were eating barley, you were probably close to poverty, but it was something that helped and that, that could give you the, the, the meal, the, the food that you needed to get by. And the amount here for the wheat is described as a minimal portion, that even those that could afford wheat will only be able to afford a small portion of what they're used to. And they'll be able to afford more of the barley, but that's less nutritious. And well, the whole point here is people will be forced to make difficult decisions for survival. We've had times in our country, economics and, and uh, prosperity and um, inflation, stagnation, all of these things, that, that happen and we think and, and at times there are uh, times where finances are a little more tight and we, we know even now food prices are soaring and rising and we sense the burden of that in our pocketbook and we may complain about that sometimes it is frustrating but folks what we experience today is nothing like will happen at this time people will really have to make stark difficult decisions in order for their very survival to find nutritious food. It is interesting though, remember that last part in verse six, do not harm the oil and the wine. Well, what's that all about? Well, it does seem, I think the best interpretation of this is in this moment for this judgment, there's one class who will escape this judgment for the moment. God has ordered that there would be not be a shortage of oil and wine supplies that the rich could afford. Judgment will come to them soon enough, and we're going to see that here at the end. But all of this picture here is reflects the severity of this famine and lack of food and the destruction and the difficulties it will bring for people. It will be terrible indeed, folks. There's a fourth sale. And verse 7, when he opened the fourth seal, that's Christ again, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! Jeremiah again calling out to come forth. And this is certainly the worst, the most hideous of the horses. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. Now, uh, your different translations may translate that different ways. Some may use the word green, and that would be appropriate. Why is this so hideous? Well, this Greek word for pale or green can refer to the growth of green plants, and that's a beautiful thing. Folks, there's nothing beautiful about this. Again, not to be too uh, gross, but this really, the word pale, the word green, you put those together, this is the horse that's the color of a corpse. It's awful. And death is coming. That pale green color. Verse 10, I'm sorry, verse 8. Its rider's name was Death. Hades followed him 
They were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, and famine, and with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. This writer not just brings physical death, but it says Hades and his companion. Spiritual death is involved in this as well. It is death in its full extreme, in its full countenance. And these terrible companions will literally, unthinkably, take the lives of a quarter of the world's population. Awful to think about. And yes, I did do the math. I'm not a mathematician, but I did the math on this. According to today's population, folks, that would be almost 2 billion people. I doubt. Horrible destruction. Unimaginable. And then he describes how it will take place. War and famine. And what that means is those first two seals, or the second and the third seal, talking about war and famine, that they'll be ramped up even more extreme than they were at the beginning. And they will get worse. There'll be less food. There'll be more bloodshed. Those will be increased from the initial opening of those seals. But death will also occur through disease and wild animals and probably refers here to as well as potentially disease-spreading animals. We know 2020 was basically shut down by a little virus. And we felt that in some cases, you know, the media and politically was, was hyped. But there is true that people died from that and, and things. But folks, this is no hype. This will make 2020 seem like a dissipating memory because disease and famine will, will come and will wipe out a quarter of the world's population. It'll be a horrific loss of life. And yet here's something else to consider. Folks, this is merely, as Jesus said in Matthew 24, this is the beginning of the birth pains, as Christ has described. We still have three seals to go, and two we'll look at today. We're going to see in these last two seals that we'll look at today that God's judgment for the sin of the world will be intolerable. What we might be able to understand a little bit more is that the wait for righteous justice may seem intolerable, and this seal is different from those others. We've gotten through the four horses of the apocalypse, as they're called sometimes. These are strange, but now a totally different scene here as John's attention is drawn back to the, the heavenly throne room there, verse 9, and when Jesus, the Lamb, opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Here's, as his attention is drawn to the altar, very interesting, strange thing to see these souls call out, and pain and concern. Not pain anymore, they're in heaven, but emotional concern, is what I'm saying. Even this altar, this is rather controversial on what this would be. Um, you have the throne room here, also um, a whole, the holy temple of God, as well as is described here in a sense. And many think, and many friends of mine believe that this is the altar of sacrifice upon which the animals were sacrificed 
and um, that the blood and the death of these saints were part of that sacrifice. Studying this, though, I have a little problem with that, and that is that the lamb has already appeared before us slain. He is the final sacrifice. I don't think then what makes more sense to me is that this is not an altar of sacrifice, but in the temple there was also an altar of incense. That would be offered up and the scent of that would be pleasing to God. And we've heard of the prayers of the saints and how that is offered up. And I think that fits better here. An altar of incense where the martyrdom of these faithful believers, the scent and the, the, the smell of that. Notice they're not on the altar, which is where you would be if you were sacrificed. They're below the altar. And that gives them the picture of security. These souls are safe. They're protected but they are also desirous of something to take place. These are Christians who have been martyred for their faith. And it is the reality in the midst of all that terrible bloodshed that we talked about just a few minutes ago that will involve thousands of Christians as well. And the rule of the Antichrist and all these things, Christians will be slaughtered, will be persecuted, and they'll be caught up in the midst of all of this. But there's a big difference in their deaths. And that is, they have been killed because of their proclamation of God's Word and their testimony for Christ. <clears throat> and they cry out, and it says there in verse 9, they were slain for the Word of God and for the witness that they had borne. For their proclamation of God's Word and their testimony of Christ, they had died sometimes violent deaths. Now their souls are protected beneath this altar. They've not been given their resurrected bodies yet. But they're urgent and fervent in their appeal. Why are they urgent? Well, don't think of it as just a lust for revenge. That certainly wouldn't be appropriate in heaven. They are calling on God as sovereign and as holy and as true because they know that only He can give righteous justice that is deserving. What have these folks done? All they had done, the whole world literally had turned against them because they turned to Christ during the tribulation. These are those that were saved during the tribulation. And folks, it is true that if we were raptured today and there were some here that had a, um, a false profession of Christ, you would remain behind and that you still would have, I believe that we would still, those people would have opportunity to trust Christ. You, you don't want to wait to have to stand for Christ during the tribulation. It's not a good plan. Make sure of your relationship with him now because these folks will have gone through a lot and they're crying out to God. They know that He's sovereign. They know that He's in control. They know that He is holy, that He is true. And they want their deaths avenged. They want righteous justice to be brought forth. And so they appeal to the holy and the true judge. They fully trust He will be able to perform this. And another aspect of this, don't think of them as complaining here. That wouldn't be appropriate in the throne room of heaven. Come on, God, how long are we going to have to wait here? That's not what they're saying. But they're wondering how long they must wait. It is a question. It's not questioning authority, but wondering how much longer to see judgment of the earth-dwelling rebels. 
those that dwell on the earth. When we see this phrase in Revelation, it is rebels against God that still dwell on the earth. And these Christians want justice for this. Folks, it is acceptable and it is right for us to want righteous justice. Even in the midst of realizing what awful judgment and what awful consequences it means when God's justice comes, it still ought to be something that God's people want and desire. We want Him to clean up this mess. We want Him to fix all the brokenness. We want, as terrible as these judgment, judgments are, and what people experience, we want God's justice to take place. And it's good to want that. These souls desire that. Look at the uh, response from God. This is interesting. They were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And so the sovereign Lord that they cried to offers them encouragement about his sovereign timing. First of all, he gives them this gracious gift of honor that reflects their refined purity. Now, we're unsure of some of the specifics of what this gift looks like because these, um, these spirits have not received their resurrected bodies. And as you can imagine, if you don't have a body, it's hard to put on a rope. But whatever this is, it is a gift of grace from God that shows that they have been refined by the fire of persecution and that they are fully acceptable and protected by God. And what a wonderful thing that would be to them as they're distressed, they want to see God's justice. And the other thing that God reminds them is that they're home. They can rest. They don't have to be anxious or worried any longer. Folks, we don't have to, by the way, get to the throne room of heaven to experience that kind of peace. We have a rest today. What are you anxious about? Don't we look at the world and see the terrible brokenness and see... Um, the proclamation of sin and the arrogance of rebels and totally twisting what we know is right and uh, Christians being called hateful and divisive and it, it, it pains us, it grieves us, it makes us angry and we can get all out of sorts. And this is a reminder for us, folks, that we also have access to the rest that God gives for his people even while we're going through difficult things on this earth. These souls will have a much more wonderful experience of this in heaven as God says rest. You can rest in the knowledge that justice will come in my timing. Folks, we can rest in the knowledge that God's timing is perfect for whatever he's allowing into our lives, even today. For our church, for ourselves individually. We can rest in the fact that God is sovereign and his timing is always best. And that's what he's calling these saints to do that are under this altar. Rest, be patient. There will be forthcoming justice for what they've experienced, but it's in God's timing. You must be patient and wait. And if these saints must do that, then the saints here today must be patient as well, right? What are you anxious about and frustrated about? Lord, why won't you act? Lord, why are you allowing this to happen to us? Remember, be patient. We must do that same thing. 
God's in control. Even if it doesn't make sense to us. These souls, these martyred souls are there, and they're being told, by the way, that there are more still to come. There are more that will face violent martyrdom because of their um, commitment to Jesus Christ. And they may not understand that, but they're reminded that God does, and whatever he's allowing, he will take care of things. Well, the seals aren't over yet. The retribution upon God's enemies will not only be severe, folks, it will be intolerable. And this final, or not the final seal, but this sixth seal, as Jesus opens it, astonishing changes happen to the very creation itself. And judgment upon the earth dwellers begins, or continues actually, in intensity. Look at verse 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. It begins with a tremendous earthquake. And then after that, a total eclipse with a disappearing sun. The sun became black as sackcloth. That was that hard, um, uncomfortable material that people would put on when they were in mourning, when they were fasting. It was dark, and the sun will become as dark. It'll disappear, basically, and then the full moon became like blood, the moon turning tinges of red. We've seen these things happen before, right? We've seen eclipses. We've seen, um, even more recently, while we've lived here, we've seen the moon have that brownish, reddish tinge to it. And it looks, it looks beautiful in many regards sometimes, right? And sometimes right before an eclipse that happens. But folks, when this happens, people won't be looking up and saying how beautiful that is. They will be, in, they will be terrified because they know that God's judgment is upon them. And the stars, verse 13, of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The very stars, but this really refers to an extremely intense meteor shower that ensues, falling like ripe fruit to the ground. If you've ever gone to pick fruit in an orchard, it's all that ripe fruit that's already on the ground because it's just kind of fallen off. And, and um, this, the very celestial um, stars that'll look like they're falling, again, this to be practical here, this certainly refers to an intense meteor shower, but the whole idea is something is happening and God's judgment is coming. This reminded me of being woken up in the middle of the night one night, not too long ago. Um, and it's one of those things where every so often our, our boys, they're so excited about something that they sometimes forget you know, to ease us into things. I was laying in bed one night, and I had this strange sense that somebody was watching me, and I opened up my eyes, and I freaked out and you know, started because Luke was standing over me, and his, he was just looking at me like this. And then he saw I opened my eyes, and he said, Dad, it's time. I said, could you knock first next time? <laughs> Please. But he said, it's time for the meteor shower. And it was just last fall, right, when this happened, or last summer, where uh, we were, saw on the news where there was going to be this beautiful meteor shower throughout the night if you went out at 2, 3 in the morning. And we have this porch out next to our, our bedroom, Leslie and I do, that's really good for looking out at the sky. And, you know, I, I really didn't want to get up in the middle of the night like this, but he was so, and the boys were so excited, you know, homeschool, homeschool um, kids. And I was like, okay, well, I think I can do that. So Leslie doesn't have to get up 
So we went outside and we didn't have to wait long. And literally there's these streaks across the sky, multiple streaks. And I saw one go all the way across and Luke saw one over here and then we saw one over here and it really was beautiful and remarkable. Later on, um, more of the family got up and we took a second look. I think Leslie got up at that time. And it, it, was, it was wonderful to see God's creation in that way and the beauty of that. Well, that's one thing, folks. But in this, as magnificent and amazing as this will be, people won't be thinking of the beauty of this intense meteor shower. They will be petrified with fear. And if that wasn't enough, then the very landscapes of the earth will be rearranged violently and it will cause the heavens literally to seem to roll and disappear. Verse 14, the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Now this isn't, this doesn't describe the final end of the old creation that God will do at the end times. How do we, or, or at the final of all of this, it may sound like it, but this is appearance, that it appears to be vanishing like a scroll that is rolled up. Not that the, that the heavenly um, celestial planets and things and everything are being taken out at this point, but it will look that way. How do I know that? Because we still have a number of judgments to go. And we still have half the tribulation to get through. So this isn't the end yet. I think, you know, even you think of the northern lights and the beauty of that, there'll be something that God causes in the atmosphere to make it almost look literally like it's being rolled up. Or maybe because the trembling and, and the earthquakes and the violent upheaval that will take place with mountains and islands, that literally as people are looking up, they're rolling around and it looks like the heavens are moving. This would be, regardless, a very disorienting, terrible thing to have to go through. I, um, in my office when I was assistant pastor in Maryland, was there studying one day, and all of a sudden a rumbling took place around me, and I looked around me, and I saw literally some of my books shaking, and it looked to me like the very walls in the room were kind of going <laughs> back and forth. Oh, this is very strange, because, you know, this is a solid foundation, this is a big building, and this is a little room, and these are, these are brick not brick walls, but solid walls, and it's strange to actually see them almost vibrating. What's going on here? And it was only a few seconds, and it stopped, and I ran to the front door, and our senior pastor, Bob Connick, ran too, because he was wondering what was going on, and we looked outside, and everything looked okay. Come to find out later on that it was a rare minor earthquake for Maryland and Pennsylvania. And I remember how things seemed to be moving and, and, and shifting, even in that minor earthquake. How much more when this when God literally rearranges mountains and islands. This would have to be an awful thing to go through indeed. And this affects everyone on the earth, even the wealthy. Look at the list here. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich... And the powerful. The, here are mighty kings, heads of state on the earth, presidents maybe, the leaders of different nations, and then those powerful officials, the great ones under them that execute the functions of government. The generals, the term here refers to high-ranking officers that commanded units of a thousand men. The wealthy and influential are also all affected at this time. 
It is interesting that here is a situation that no military might or power of wealth can escape the wrath of God. Nobody can buy a way out. The billionaires can't do a thing. They're all going to suffer through this. All powerful people and influencers will no longer seem unaffected and above it all. Isn't it still remarkable sometimes when we see um, influencers and people with power and politicians, how no matter what happens, they always seem like they have that gloss. Like they can always seem like everything's okay and, and they're able to put the best face on, so to speak. And it seems like those that have billions of dollars and, and those that are, are considered influencers in our world today will get on TV. It's like nothing ever affects them. Folks, this will shake everybody. Nobody will be able to put in a decent, um, a non-affected face over what's going on here. Everyone will be in terror. All mankind at this point will tremble in fear before this judgment. There'll be no sanctuary found in the World Economic Forum at Davos. There'll be no United Nations building to run to, no secret Armageddon bunker. But everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And what are they ultimately hiding themselves from? They're actually going to those caves and saying, fall on us, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? They'll not be seeking protection from the earthly upheavals, but they'll be seeking to die in them in order to avoid the wrath of God and the Lamb. The elites... And everyone on the earth will recognize the judgment of God has come and it is intolerable. And they don't want to go through any more of it. Terrible things indeed. But folks, God has to judge sin. And this world has had a long time to turn to Christ. And as awful as these things sound, they are appropriate. They are right. What do we do with all this today? Are we experiencing in our world today the birth pains before the beginnings of the birth pains, in essence? Let me give you some recent news headlines. Texans hear boom, feel ground shake when meteorites hit the earth. Thousand pounds, two feet found near McAllen, Texas. We all know this, I think. Three rescued from Turkey rubble as earthquake death toll passes 45,000. That's hard for us to imagine. That's something that's just happened just a, a week ago, folks. Two weeks ago, maybe. 7.8 magnitude earthquake struck in the dead of night on February 6th, many weeks ago. Could this be the beginning, before the beginning of the birth pains, before the tribulation? Mass shootings? We're constantly hearing about people being killed. Whatever we have to go through and what God puts us through now in these things, we can see just slight little pictures, tremors of what's going to come. And we can get nervous and we can get anxious and worried. And here's what we need to know today for this, folks. Whatever great afflictions we face today as God's children, whatever challenges... We know this. If the tribulation is for a limited time, then the troubles that we face today are for a limited time. They won't last forever. 
And whatever they are, God is accomplishing His purposes. It's not fate. It's not just something happened. Bad things happened to me. No, it's God's plan for us, for Him to accomplish His purpose in our lives and in the world. He is in control of everything. So that nothing that we face in our lifetime will we have to be afraid because God goes with us. But also, as we've seen here, nothing we face in our lifetime will compare to the coming tribulation judgment. And so as we trust in God, for those that truly have a relationship with Him, remember, He's in control of everything. But if there is one here today that's still faking it, that doesn't have a real relationship with God, you need to answer this question. Are you prepared to face the coming judgment? You don't want to go through this, folks. Trust Christ today and know that we'll escape all this. And we'll be with the marriage supper of the Lamb and rejoicing and worshiping with Him forever. Which one are you going to choose? I want to worship with the Lamb and be secure in His presence forever. Father, these are terrible things that we realize are coming for this awful world. And we realize it's right because the world has rejected you as their king. They won't be able to get away with it forever. Help us today to make sure that we truly have a relationship with God, that we're not just using words to try to make ourselves look in front of other people, but that we truly have a relationship with trust in what Christ has done. And then, Father, whatever difficulties we face, whatever challenges, whatever unexpected surprises, help us to remember that you are in control of all these things, and you have purposes for all of them, and you will bring us through, protected, and we will live with you and worship you for all eternity. Let us go encouraged in that way as we go from here. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.